Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Firm Returns Weekly. This week, we're going to go over some news and other items of interest for uh, Tiny Build, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Taylor Maritime Investments. So I will just share my screen quickly. good yeah so the first thing i wanted to mention is that streets of rogue 2 has continued to gain momentum with the game breaking into the top 100 most wishlisted upcoming games on steam this week and i can show you it's actually up to 97th place now which is uh so 99 yesterday when i released this uh, weekly update and um saturday and on sunday it's already climbed another couple of places now it could be because of uh, games that are up coming out but it's still um still great to see and um using the wish the internal wishlist data that we've been given for recent releases uh for example i am future which i've which i'm going to mention in a minute and uh, previously punch club 2 had a couple of articles um giving some inside information there, which is great. Um, but yeah, using this uh, internal wishlist data, we can make a guess as to the current wishlist numbers of for Streets of Rogue 2. Um, so I in Future, as we we're going to find out in a minute, had 160,000 wishlists at launch and was the 135th most wishlisted game on Steam at the time. I, I recorded the uh wishes rank right before uh, the day before release um in what an earlier episode of Fairman Times Weekly. So um that's how I know it's positioning. And um Punch Club 2 had a hundred thousand wish lists at launch and was around about 220th in the wish list rankings. Uh not exactly sure what the figure was because I can't um I don't think I have a a record of it the day before, but I feel like it was it, it was definitely over two hundred. Um and I seem to recall it being somewhere around the two hundred and twenty mark. So significantly further back than uh, Punch Club, and you can sort of see that matches up with uh, having a hundred K wish list versus 160k. Uh but following release, the wishes for both games have grown to exceed two hundred K. So with these figures in mind, we could probably make a reasonable estimate The Streets of Rogue 2 currently has greater than 200,000 wish lists on Steam, and we're still a long way from launch. So I said as well that we could be looking at a similar level of success to Potion Craft, which sold 700,000 copies during early access and greater than a million post version 1.0 launch. So... Yeah, I mean, when Potion Graph was launched in early access, that would have been uh, fairly comparable because um, Streets of Rogue 2 is going to be coming out in early access for a period there, and the 700,000 copies sold um, is a, is a, would be a pretty amazing number to get for Streets of Rogue 2. Um but yeah, that's kind of like the level it's starting to shape up. I don't know what the wishes ranking of Potion Graph was before its launch. I wasn't really 
following the wishlist rankings at that point. Um, so I, of, of the new upcoming releases at that point. Uh, so I can't tell you on that one, but follower numbers are sort of looking fairly comparable. Um, and just the, I can just imagine that Persian Graph must have been in the top 100 before its launch as well. I think there was quite a lot of hype around that that game. So that's why I'm sort of saying we could be looking at similar numbers to that. Yeah, as opposed to just speculation, let's move on to some real data we have from oh, from Alex Nishiporshik, the uh, CEO of TinyBuild, who's given us another article this time talking about the publish, giving us some publishing date, uh, some stats, and um, some just sort of general information on how they marketed and and went about releasing I Am Future in early access and and managed to release it with a pretty incredible 160,000 wish list for its early, for an early access launch. So, and, and just to remember, it was just as a reminder, it was launched on the 8th of August. So, yeah, just a couple of little points I've taken from the article, but I, I've got a link here for you to have a look. I do recommend giving that a read, as I do with the PunchGov 2 article, which was um, similarly insightful. So, we now know that the game has 160,000 wishlists at launch and has thus far generated greater than $500,000 in sales, which translates to approximately 30,000 or over 30,000 copies sold. And we know, as I mentioned before, the wish list has subsequently grown to approximately 200,000. And it actually gave us a pretty good chart showing that, uh, which I'll can show you in a second. Positioning the game to perform well during sales, it's discounted and at the version 1.0 launch. So yeah, when they, a lot of people, when they put the game into the wish list, they're just waiting for a sale to snap it up. So that's kind of like the catalyst you're, um, for converting the wish list to, to actual sales. Now, I did actually find an interesting article, which I haven't read yet, but I had a quick glance through, talking about um, conversion rates for different games um, against the, the wish list numbers. And I think it was something like the average was 19 or 20%, um, just from a quick glance. Like I say, I haven't fully read it, so I could... Uh, but if it's an interesting article, and if, if um, it's informative, I might include it in next week's um Weekly update, but yeah, it's tw nineteen to twenty percent. So you're looking at, um, yeah, it could be for a two hundred thousand wish list that would be sort of like forty k conversions, and and that's just from the wish list. But there's also, of course, people that don't wish list the game that come along um, as well and buy it, which is why uh, we're looking at. 30,000 copies sold with the initial 160. And that, that also that figure is is uh, annually as well. So the number of people who have wishes to the game who buy it across a year 
sort of 19 to 20% on average, but it does vary quite a bit by game. Um, yeah, I'll probably put a link to that article in the next one if I if I read it and, it, and it's interesting. Um, yeah, but just generally, these articles, the, this one on I Am Future and the Punch Club 2 article have been really giving us an insight into Tiny Build's well-oiled publishing machine. And it um, it really is a, a tremendous asset for the company and really gives a good hope that um, they'll be able to fully you know, future release some of the game, the big high potential games in the pipeline. I will be able to really achieve their full potential with us, with us, which is one of the crucial uh, components really is a, is a strong launch to really get that initial momentum going. So I think they've proven this year with and, and, and in prior years with other releases they've, they've done. Um, but certainly these ones that we've really got to have an inside view for, Iron Future and Punch Up 2, that they really do have the capability to do a very strong launch for a game. So I think we can expect good things from Streets of Rogue 2, which is already generating a lot of a lot of traction even uh could be sort of six months away from its launch we don't know exactly when it's going to be launched um certainly next year sometime in early access so yeah we're getting a already getting a lot of traction from it um let's see if i can get this that was a mistake um yeah let's have a quick look here So yeah, this was the interesting lifetime wishlist actions for Iron Future, which is included in the article. So you get some a few labels here. So like when they did the PC gaming show reveal, that's what really the game had. I think it. I don't know whether it had a store page, but it had no marketing before that. But then it gets. Um, they had a pre-show, a PC gaming show, which was viewed by quite a lot of people, and similarly, Guerrilla Collective as well. And both these pushed it up right up into close to 50k. And we had then they had the demo, which was released um, several weeks before the Steam, a couple of weeks before the Steam Next Fest, to give it as as Alex outlines in the article, to give it a chance to get a a bit of traction and get a good sort of play account, um, good engagement, which helps the it to perform well, helps the Steam's algorithms and so on to promote it more during the next Steam Next Fest, which then pushed it further. Um, and there was it talks about there being a game delay. Uh, they had previously planned to release it a bit earlier, but pushed it back a bit, and people were still fairly receptive. And it kept on climbing the wish list, I guess. And then we get the, the launch. I think this purple line is the actual real wish list. I'm not sure exactly what all of them are there. We haven't got keys, but judging by the, the figures Alex gave us, he said as we got launched, we suddenly rocket up wish list. Um, so it must have been around about yeah, 160,000 something. And then at launch, it was then just around about the 200 came up anyway let's go back to my article so 
moving on to Warner Bros. Discovery, mainly going to talk about Mortal Kombat 1, which is set to release on the 19th of September. And which is just a couple of weeks away. And it's um I just thought I'd give some some updates associated with this. I mean it's looking like it's gonna be a pretty big release and it's uh, retailing at a pretty high price of basically seventy dollars. So the same sort of level as the Tears of the Kingdom and and so on from Nintendo. Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, which I think is the highest retelling game uh now. So now all the it's set the the benchmark for <laughs> the path for for all of the new big AAA releases that come out. So uh, thanks a lot, Nintendo, for that. But um yeah, so let's have a look here. So we've got a, quite a few new trailers, they've just been doing a steady kind of schedule of new trailers coming out for the game and there was a kind of live action uh trailer featuring dave batista which i think had close to three million views um just a few days ago and yeah these trailers had more than a million views on youtube just on the main sort of mortal kombat channel um which has 1.32 million subscribers we can see here and then obviously it gets like you know reshared through Warner Brothers Discovery, various channels and so on, Warner Brothers Games and so on, uh, different channels. So it, it will be it'll be multiples of that. And then yeah, the actual official announcement trailer, which was released three months ago, had eight million or, or at least eight million views. So it's um certainly getting a lot of interest. And um just got a few stats from steam here because while the uh the game is likely to sell significantly better on consoles than pc uh the steam figures are looking pretty positive with the game already in 50th place in the top sellers list from pre-sales alone and it's uh i think i just got a bit of an updated numbers here i'm gonna go change this tab yeah, so actually increased to 59th place in the wish list, and it's uh, gone back a little bit on the top sellers list to 62. But um, so yeah, I don't know what it, it might have been higher than 50 a few days ago when they launched the uh, pre-sale of the game. But uh, yeah, it's looking looking like a pretty high potential, and it's already bringing in money uh, just from the pre-sales, and those pre-sales will help it to have pretty good player counts i think this is something that alex talked about in a another one of the other articles having the pre-sales of the game allows you to have pretty high concurrent player counts like straight away at launch as people immediately as soon as the game's activated they're able to play it um and they can get it pre-downloaded and ready and it helps to give that the game a bit of that early momentum uh, straight away just out of the out of the gates so yeah i think um it's good to see decent numbers of resales going here so yeah, anyway we could be looking at a second big hit release could be uh could be another billion dollar one maybe i even uh be getting 
a similar sort of level to Hogwarts Legacy. Anyway, so yeah, it's looking pretty good from the Warner Brothers games segment two pretty good releases and then we've got um hopefully but it's been delayed a couple of times we've got the suicide squad kill the justice league game supposed to be coming out in february next year so have to see how that comes on schedule it has been pushed back a couple of times it's being made by the same developers that made the arkham games arkham asylum city and night which were very did very well, critically critically acclaimed. I'm pretty sure sold in aggregate well over a billion dollars. So, um, same same studios that made those. So we'll have to see. But I think the reason it's been delayed is because there was some controversy during the pandemic with remote working and things not um, and layoffs and things like that. Things not. Which, yeah, so there might have been some significant disruption, but uh, to that particular studio, which is unfortunate, but hopefully we'll get a, we still get a strong release, but we'll have to wait and see for that one. But anyway, Mortal Kombat 1 is looking good, and the, the publishing approach, the marketing has been has been strong so far and generating lots of traction for the game. So it's been good to see. So. Move on now quickly to the last thing I wanted to cover, which was Taylor Maritime Investments. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about the what we're seeing from charter rates um, at the moment. So the the Baltic handy size index which is the most relevant index for uh, charter rate index for um tail maritime investments because most of their fleet is the is handy size um so it's the baltic handy size index seems to be inflecting up from its lows reached last month uh they go all the way down just below 400 and it's now come back up to 534 at the time I captured this. So um, quite a nice climb. But yeah, the, this is going to be important because it's, and this is actually what the, the company's management was predicting in their last quarterly update that they were expecting charter rates to climb in the next uh, few months which is what they're doing and yeah this is going to be important because they've still got that somewhat elevated debt levels from the Grindrod acquisition which they're trying to pay down and um, because of the, the rates that they had in the in the most at the end of the most recent quarter which were Ten thousand six hundred dollars per day, on average. Um, so that's the net time charter rate for each vessel in the fleet. This equated to an unlevered gross cash yield of just seven point nine percent, which is 
significantly lower than what they were able they had in the, in the last couple of years and they were had rates above sort of uh 20 comfortably above 20 percent for much of that time and if you look back a bit further on the handy size the baltic hand size index curve you can see that there's a, a pretty massive peak <laughs> just to the left of it so yeah we're well uh well below the kind of heights it got up to i think it was up to around about 2000 or something compared to the 534 now so we're well below the, those high levels but um tmi has had a much more of a they've smoothed out the curve a bit because they've been chartering in a sort of a mix of different um charter durations so anything some stuff spot rates but it's mostly sort of medium and long term so sort of anything between uh, three months to 12 months kind of range uh, which allows them to sort of smooth out that they didn't quite capture all of the upside when it really uh, peaked but they smoothed out the decrease because i believe it's actually been around about six to seven thousand dollars per day it's the actual average for the uh what well, the index sort of converts to um when it was down at 400 but it's uh they've they've been able to maintain it above ten thousand because of their having the slightly longer durations um and having locked those in when the when the prices were higher so yeah it's that they're also but yeah as i, as I was saying the 7.9 percent yield they were getting before wouldn't have been enough to cover uh to pay the dividend and um, interest and pay down the debt and all the, the uses of cash they have. So they have been quite profitably selling vessels, uh, which so basically they're selling some of the larger vessels they had in the, that came with the grind bod fleet, some sort of Supermax ones. Um, and and also some I think they had some larger ones as well to try and get it down so it's just a very fairly uniform fleet so easier to to manage and what have you and that's where they see the the structural advantages because of the order books with the handy size vessels uh, they uh, the age of the fleet over of the global fleet is um, substantial. And I think they have about the lifetime expectancy of a vessel is something like 25 years. And I believe it's, I can't remember the exact figures, but the average age is, is over 15 or something now. So there's uh, a lot of vessels are getting retired and the order books are for the next few years are nowhere near replacement rate for the for the number of vessels that are getting retired so and a lot of this is to do with um a few different factors as the uncertainty from a new environmental regulations coming into force a new vessel they're worried about people are worried about the same kind of thing with mines and so on you know that you're seeing people are worried about investing in new vessels because they're thinking oh what if the i make this investment in a vessel that's but it's gonna an asset that's got to last 25 years and 
then they change the regulations and they say now this the, the this is not fuel efficient enough or it's not environmentally friendly enough in whatever way makes too releases too much co2 and so then they it just becomes a stranded asset so same reason why they're not um a lot of companies are not wanting to invest in new open new oil fields for instance on your mines or things like that so uh yeah those kind of things are playing in there and they're also other aspects are like the um in order to reduce co2 emissions there's they're expecting new regulations to come in that will force ships to um sail at lower speeds which will increase the time it takes uh, effectively reduce the capacity because the, there's more vessels the vessels are taking longer to get there to their destinations and so there's um fewer available at any one time so all these kind of structural aspects are particularly uh, favorable for the handy size uh, segment of the market and so they're trying to they're selling off some of the larger vessels and using that to to pay off the the debt so they can just concentrated on the hand size ones and obviously and they've been able to do so at rates significantly higher than the um the effective rates they bought them for so it's been it's been a positive it hasn't been uh, destructive at all of shareholder value so far and um yeah and now with the rates looking like they're inflecting back up we should hopefully expect a bit more contribution from the the actual uh, vessels themselves um but yeah i just wanted to say as well that um in hindsight now is probably a more opportune moment to buy the stock than when i first purchased it sort of shortly after its ipo in 2021 um even though the ipo price i thought was pretty reasonable um I think it, it IPO'd with a 7% dividend yield with their target dividend rate. Um, so it IPO'd at $1 a share and they were immediately guiding to pay $0.07 cents a share dividends, which 7% yield. That's now been raised to $0.08 cents and the shares have fallen to something like uh, $0.87 cents a share. So it's now a 9.2% yield. And you've had significant NAV growth uh, to boot. So the the NAV now is $1.56 a share. So it's trading at a significant discount to its NAV. And um, it's yielding 9.2%. So, you know, it's um, pretty attractive. Uh, it's, it's only more attractive even than it was at the time of the IPO. And... Um, yeah, and I've just got a graph here illustrating that. But you know, I, as I say, hindsight is hindsight is twenty twenty. So uh, yeah, lessons learned. But I still thought it was uh, attractively priced even back then, and obviously that initially it did uh, do quite well with the the boom in rates shortly after it IPO'd um, due to the the pandemic reopening. And uh, yeah, which took the price, but it was the trouble was it was even when it got up to its highs, it was still trading at a. I think the the nav got all the way up to 
one dollar seventy or something. So it's still trading at quite a discount to its nav. I wasn't really um, it I, I wasn't really interested in selling it, but yeah, in hindsight, you know, you could have could have sold it off then and then picked it up again when it when it crashed. It's kind of inevitable that with these cyclical things that it would have. That, in hindsight, that was a bit of a cyclical peak in rates. Probably would have been a good time to offload some shares and then pick them back up when they when they drop back down again. But as I say, it's a it's a learning curve. I will uh, I will know for future such businesses. But yeah, I'm I'm perfectly happy holding it at the current price. And if there weren't other things that I would prefer to be buying that I, that I thought were cheaper, like um, Tiny Bill, for instance, or one brother discovery, I probably would be buying more at the, the current price because, as I said, it does seem like we're at a, down at a cycle low. And if you look back over history, this is pre- pretty close to kind of the lowest level that um, charter rates have got in the past as well. So um, they've got slightly lower during certain uh, recessions and so on. But yeah, it's. It's still it's got it gets down to a level where it's just not sustainable to charter vessels and so um it, it that just naturally forces that pulls out supply from the market and it naturally forces up prices as um and that's how the supply and demand works so yeah we're getting a natural inflection back up um and then but the you know the share price certainly isn't inflating up at the moment, so it's uh, could could be a good uh, an opportune buying opportunity right now. But anyway, I think that is it for me in this episode. So I will see you all next week, and uh, I'll let you know if any of those articles are any good, and uh, maybe include that I mentioned, and maybe include them in the uh in the next weeks right up but anyway until then we'll see you next time